we do it. Yesterday was the first Saturday in four weeks that I had waffles for breakfast. Typically, it's Saturdays at our house. We do a big breakfast, and waffles are typically the order of the day. We always make a few extra waffles, because you can never dial in the recipe, right? Waffles rather than pancakes, for some bizarre reason, never, ever, ever been able to dial in pancakes. Character flaw? Perhaps. At any rate, Tanya's waffles are the work of Tanya, and so we have some extra waffles left over after all the things that are done, and then we'd rip up the waffles, and we'd throw them outside for the squirrels. It's the coolest thing in the world, okay? Because the squirrels hang out underneath the bird feeders, and we tried to squirrel-proof the bird feeders, okay? And yesterday, did anyone else have their finches just go nuts on, like, the bird seed yesterday? Literally, the finches at my house took out, like, just whoop! I mean, just like, you just saw the level of the bird seed just decrease throughout the day. Like, a half a dozen finches just went nuts on the bird seed. At any rate, so the squirrels typically go around the morning, like this, right? Okay, so I threw out the waffle pieces, right? just out of the orb of where the birdseed falls. Because then you have these little squirrels that are like, like this, right? You know, And then all of a sudden, one squirrel gets the bright idea, and, and he goes from here to... You know what I'm talking about, right? And then he's like, whoop, 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 whoop. And then he grabs a piece of waffle, and he's like... And you just see, I mean, it's just like, just pure joy in a squirrel face, right? It's just absolutely little squirrel teeth, squirrel cheek to squirrel cheek, smiling, scampers up the tree, eats, and comes right back down. Love surprises. The squirrel was shocked. Here are waffles on a freshly fallen snow. I like surprises sometimes, shows that rely heavily on plot, mysteries, clues, whodunit, times that I've been shocked when I didn't see something coming or when it was the exact opposite of what I thought to be true. The text today, I'm astonished, is how it begins. Shocked. The words are strong. The opposite, really, of a squirrel finding a piece of waffle, finding a good thing where they didn't realize that good thing would be. This is actually looking for a good thing and finding nothing. Shocked. The words are strong. Literally, Paul is accusing the reader, the church in Galatia, of something very, very, very close to treason. And he's not celebrating that reality. Page 972, rather, verse 6, chapter 1. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. What is the gospel? It's good news, right? But what good news? It's inaugurated by Christ, right? What is this grace of Christ? What is the gospel of Christ? We know the word translated gospel is the Greek word euangelion, which is literally good news. We know that it's an entry point to the kingdom, a new kingdom, a rescue from the present evil age, even though the present evil age is not yet over. We know that the gospel is salvation from sins, right? It's good news. It's good news. 
the first thing that must be said about the gospel is that it is good news. Even today, it's not old news. It's certainly not bad news. It's not even blurred news. It is good news. A second thing, not necessarily secondary in terms of importance, but a second thing that we would say about the gospel is that it deals with sin and the effects and outcomes of sin and all that that means. And all that that means. There's an article in CT by Mike Cosper recently on the Asbury Revival in Wilmore, Kentucky, who draws heavily on an article that Tim Keller wrote, What is the Gospel? The Gospel might be these three things that are interrelated, right? The Gospel as cross, the Gospel as kingdom, the Gospel as grace. The Gospel of cross, Keller argues, the Gospel is the good news of gracious acceptance. The gospel operates, again, Mr. Keller, on the principle, I am accepted through Christ, therefore I obey. The gospel differs from both religion and irreligion. Not only can you seek to be your own Lord and Savior by breaking the law of God, irreligion, you can also do it by trying to keep the law in turn to earn your salvation. The gospel is radically different from religion. I think I miss this often. This reality that the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that is offered, it is initiated, it is enacted by God. It is offered to me, and there's nothing that I can do to earn it. And to some degree, there's even nothing I can do to enjoy it or experience it. It is affirmative action by God on my behalf before I had any comprehension of the impact it would have on my life. And because of that, because of that, I respond. Mike Cosper, the gospel has three paradigms. Gospel is cross, kingdom, gospel is grace. Keller arguing the gospel is the good news. The gospel is the good news of gracious acceptance, of changed lives, of a new world coming. At Timberwood Church, we say the gospel, and these paradigms, right, are synonyms of one another. We say these words like outreach and spiritual formation and leadership. And we say them not as a slogan to get someone's attention. We say them because they are an outworking. They are a practical application, implication of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be a place where anyone can walk through the front door. And hear the simple, salient fact that Jesus Christ loves them. If you've never heard it, hear it right now. Jesus Christ loves you. You've done nothing to earn it. I've done nothing to earn it. Jesus Christ operates from a position of gracious acceptance 
of where we are at. People are like, well, what do I have to do? I have to be something. No, 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 no. No, no, no. It starts. It starts with Christ's love for you. Do you want to respond to that love? I certainly do. Am I always successful in responding to that love? No. It's what we mean by outreach. And it's why we want to share the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Spiritual formation, the gospel as changing lives. Continually changing lives. Continually changing every life who is open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is leadership, it's stewardship, it's serving. It's saying that we can make a difference in the world around us. When we serve in a Sunday school class or when we serve at a soup kitchen or when we invite someone into our home who doesn't have anything, when it is motivated out of our love and response to the gospel. The gospel is the work of God to which we respond, the the work of God in which we are called to live. It's intriguing. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Moo argues it, it 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 would be a better translation if we said, called you to live in the grace of Christ. that we literally live or are invited to live in this house of grace. Over the past month or so, we were able to get out of town. Um, Perhaps we came back too soon. We didn't bring snow with us because while there was precipitation, there was no snow where we were at. Florida for a little bit of time, North Georgia for two and a half weeks. Amazing bike riding, highly recommended. South end of the Appalachian Range. We stayed in this little place, right? And it was this little, like, verbo or whatever you call it, Airbnb thing, and it was right by this creek, and day and night, the creek never turned off. It never ran out of water. And there was times where I just sat and watched it for, like, two hours. Like, it never ran out. Anyway, the place that we were staying was the house of Terry. Okay, I say that, but Terry was the owner, and Terry had decorated her house so that there were chickens and roosters everywhere. 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 You drove up, and there was a rooster on the outside of the house. You walked in the house, and there was roosters on pillows, and there were roosters in paintings, and there was roosters on tapestries, and there was roosters on the bed sheets, and there was roosters on the plates, and the cups, and the ceiling, and the walls, and the towels. There was roosters everywhere. There was a cutting board with a rooster on it. Everywhere, everywhere you looked, the little things where you pull that turn on lights, they had little roosters on the end. Everywhere you looked was roosters. You were living in a house of roosters. You could not avoid the reality. You could not escape it. You toweled yourself off. It was with a rooster. For those two and a half weeks, literally, we resided in the house of Terry where there was roosters everywhere. Literally, it was a house of roosters. 
That's what the text means. That's what it means. We're to live in a house of grace. We're to live in a house that is characterized by good news. That we're to live, that we've been invited to reside in this place that is characterized by the work of Christ. It's not the work of John or Eric or Amy or Jason or Tori or Val or Bob. You want to live in my house. You want to live in the house of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what you experience when you live in this house, it is a house of perpetual good news. And it has always been this way. It is a house of grace. And to that reality, Paul says, I'm shocked that you wouldn't want to live there. It, it makes no sense at all to me. Verse 7 continues. Not that there is another one, a different gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to, him, to you, let him be accursed. Not a strong enough translation. Accursed is not a strong enough word in this situation. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace, let him or her be accursed. Like, if someone shows up and they're like, I'm an angel sent from God, I'm a prophet sent from God, I'm a defender sent from God. It's not what they claim to be. It's the claims that they make. And are their claims centered on a house of grace, a house of good news? The warning is significant, right? Don't distort, don't warp, think like a dolly painting. Don't limit where it can go and don't limit what it can do. And likewise, don't think that there are no limits, Two times this word, accursed, literally the Greek word is ananthema. The judgment of God is what the word means, unsaid person. These are strong words. To be cursed by God is the meaning. So a person who preaches something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ a person who preaches something in addition to that gospel, the grace of Christ, is cursed by God. Which, for the careful reader, might inspire just a little bit of caution. It's not a gentle warning. It's describing the end result of which, well, it's, it, it's one of the few times where the phrase, God damn you, is actually to be used, but not used lightly. 
There is no other gospel. There is no need to add anything to this gospel. And in the weeks ahead, we'll more fully explore the additions that were being introduced in the book of Galatians at that time or reintroduced from a previous way. But it might invite the question, what things do we add to this house of good news? This gospel, this grace that is not helpful. Do we add a layer of, ah, you're not going to really be accepted if your language isn't up to snuff? Or do we add a layer of, ah, I don't know what side of the tracks you grew up from? Or, I'm not sure about the color of your skin. I'm not sure about your politics. It's a house of grace. It's the gospel of God, of Jesus Christ. All are invited in. All are invited in. To come in looking shabby, to come in looking beat up, to come in feeling abused by the world around us, a world that often doesn't have good news. Verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Commentators are divided on that first phrase. They're like, this is a really hard and awkward phrase to translate. The second phrase provides clarity, but but. Just know that in the world of biblical scholarship, they kind of wrestle a little bit with the first part of verse 10, but the next one is crystal clear. Or am I trying to please man? And by that clarity in that second phrase, they kind of give the first phrase its meaning, right? Who am I trying to please? Who am I trying to impress? Who am I trying to please with what I say and with what I do? Am I doing it for me so that I look impressive? Am I doing it for you so that you think I look impressive? For any of us who like what we do, I like what I do. I really like what I do. For any of us who think we're kind of good at what we do, I think I'm kind of good at what I do. I would argue Paul was better at what I do than what I do and what I'm able to do what I do. And Paul said, I'm not doing this for a popularity vote. If you're good at what you do, no crime in that. None whatsoever. Embrace that you're good at what you do. 
But if what we do and the things that we're good at is so that others think we're impressive, Paul's like, you might want to check that ego at the door. Because you're, you're falling into the house of good news. You're walking through the front door of the grace of Jesus Christ. Something that you and I have no reason to expect. Something that you and I have no reason to expect we deserve because we don't. That's almost the craziness of it, right? God saying first, I love you and I'm going to give you good news. Live in this house of grace. Talked about it a little bit on Wednesday night. This idea of orthodoxy and orthopraxy, right? Believing the right things and then doing the right things. And how at times I'll wrestle with, well, what are the right things to believe? Do I really believe that God loves me? I think that's a phenomenal question to ask. The answer is yes, by the way. God really loves me. Orthopraxy, how I live. But often I find myself a little rougher on the edges. And then a friend of mine told me about this neogalism, orthopathos, right feeling, right affections. And to that I can say my affections are pointed in the direction of God. Not because I've something I've done. Because of what he has done for me. We're going to have a lot of fun in Galatians. Exploring the idea of the grace and the gospel and the good news. And with any luck, we can get to the point that Paul got to when he said, I have had help that comes from God. Please pray with me. In the quietness of the moment, maybe you've never really even ever thought about the statement that God makes, about the action that God takes, about the good news that he loves, that his son died and was resurrected before we even thought about anything.
God acts first. God loves first. God extends his grace to us first. Maybe the hardest thing for you to believe is that God can really love you. Shabby, beat up. Oh, maybe not on the outside. Clothes look okay. But on the inside. A heart that is gaping full of pain, full of loss, full of regret. A heart that's tinged by the bad news of the world. Desperate to be loved. To that, God says, come into my house. Experience my grace. Experience my love. Experience my good news. I challenge you with that offer. In Jesus' name, amen.